You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I am a longtime Marlins writer, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to discuss the Marlins' game one victory of this series at Wrigley. They dominate the Cubs, make it three in a row if we want to go back to the postseason where the Marlins were able to quote-unquote sweep the Cubs at Wrigley in front of no fans. Now, in this ballgame, 32,000 fans there to witness the Marlins trounce the Cubs 10-2. This was the first time the Marlins matched up with the Cubs since that postseason victory. And as I mentioned in the last podcast, I thought the Cubs may come out swinging with a little bit of a fire under them after getting beat by the Marlins in the postseason, but it just did not look like that was the case today. The Marlins offense was great, something I have not been able to say in a while. In fact, the Marlins' 10 runs today was more than the last four games combined. They only scored seven in their previous four games combined. So this was a very refreshing game from the Marlins from multiple perspectives. Also, Cody Petit is back and This is a big development for the Marlins to get Petit back because while he may not be the most exciting arm in the world, he's not Sixto Sanchez. He's a hell of a lot better than bullpen games. And while Zach Thompson did have a great outing at Marlins Park when he picked up his first career victory, he's better than Zach Thompson. And honestly, as I tweeted earlier today, I guess this is midnight as I record this on Friday night, I tweeted during the Marlins-Cubs game that Petit looks like a legitimate number four starter right now with a chance to be a number three. The curveball has come along more and more during his time at the big league level, which has been amazing to see start to start. The changeup was something that he worked on in the offseason and has looked spectacular since he debuted in the big leagues. And the fastball is more lively than we've ever seen it before. I've done those petite breakdowns and it's for real. And now that that breaking ball is developing, I was honestly, if I'm going to be fully candid here, I did not listen to the Marlins broadcast. I don't watch the Marlins broadcast anymore. I have MLB TV and most of the time, I really do watch the away broadcast. I will say that the Marlins broadcasters are not 100% the reason why I don't listen. I also like to see what other teams are talking about with what's going on with their ball club as I have to cover the entire league. So it does help to get the perspective from other teams broadcasters who are obviously going to talk more in depth about their team. And I already know what's going on with the Marlins. So I don't really need Holly's perspective on things just to be blunt. And I really do enjoy hearing the different voices as the broadcaster in me loves to hear all of the different broadcasters across the game. And it's really fun, especially when they play big teams like the Cubs, who have more famous broadcasters, who is just really fun to listen to. And I also love hearing their perspective on the fish. But anyways, back to what I was talking about. What they were saying was, wow, we were getting the scouting report, the Cubs broadcasters, that is. They were told, yeah, a lot of changeups. The changeup is really good from Petit. And they were saying, wow, 
we were expecting a ton of changeups. We've been seeing a lot of breaking balls, and that was the case. The breaking ball was looking great, probably as good as we've seen it look from him. It wasn't Cody Petit's most economical outing, but it was his first outing in almost a month, if I'm not mistaken. I know it's been a while, at least several weeks and he was still able to get swings and misses, five strikeouts. He only goes three and two thirds, but part of the reason why was because one, he did walk four batters and that wasn't ideal, but again, he has not made starts in a little bit of time, but also he got capped off at 80 pitches. So even in his least economical start we've probably seen from him, in a normal setting, you stretch him out to 100 pitches, he probably gives you five innings here, and that's still fine. If he gives you five innings of two-run ball, especially when your offense does what it did today, then you're happy with that. But what I really was impressed with was that development of the breaking ball that has not looked that good before, and we know the fastball changeup is a great combination from him. He's a legitimate back-end arm. I stand by it, and I've been incredibly impressed with what we've seen from Petit. Then we saw John Curtis with another good outing, gets that ERA under three, inning and a third of scoreless ball. Ross Detweiler goes an inning and two-thirds of scoreless ball. And Zach Pop, that might be the biggest development. The fact that Zach Pop went two and a thirds without giving up a run That is huge for the Marlins, huge for Zach Pop to gain some confidence. Yes, it was a blowout. I know an eight-run lead is not quite what we would call high leverage, but he still had to get outs. He still has to put the ball over the plate and get swings and misses. And from Zach Pop, he had not been doing that for a while. He had been pretty terrible since the start of June. So we'll take two and a thirds of scoreless ball, one strikeout, one walk, no hits. Great to see. The Marlins punish Zach Davies, who's actually been better as of late after a rocky start to the season, but they touch him up for eight runs, all of them earned, seven hits. They only strike out twice against Davies and a pair of home runs, two from Adam Duvall in this game, also a homer from John Birdie, who has been on fire. Last episode, I talked about how John Birdie is finally starting to come alive and he is just continuing to come alive at the plate. He has been awesome. And how about Jorge Alfaro? The guy has been red hot, especially over the last seven games, 409, 458, 500 slash line over his last seven games. That's nine for 22 with only five strikeouts. You scale it out to his last 30 games, 280, 337, 387 slash line, where he's making a lot more contact, albeit the 387 slugging percentage is not what we're used to from Jorge Alfaro because the one thing that he's always been able to do is hit for power, but you know what? I don't care right now because Jorge Alfaro is making contact. He's still hitting the ball hard, and I'd rather him focus on bat to ball like he's been. I mean, he hit the ball 108 miles an hour at Zach Davies tonight, and wow, I'm so glad Davies is okay. He wore that like a champ, didn't even really flinch, but it was the equivalent of getting hit by a 108-mile-per-hour fastball. It was exactly 60 feet away, and it hit him directly. I don't know how he took that like such a champ, but regardless, Alfaro is hitting the ball damn hard. It just seems like he's more focused on just hitting it hard on a line or hard on the ground instead of swinging and missing because he's been much shorter, much more compact, and just trying to barrel baseballs up. I love this version of Jorge Alfaro because I know he'll be able to add the power back in as he gets more confident with his ability to just make more consistent contact and I'll own it. I really, really did not think that Jorge Alfaro would be able to make these kinds of adjustments at this point in his career because we saw him season after season come out and have that same swing, have that same approach. And now at 28 years old, he does have this click for him. And that's exactly what it is. It's just clicked for him at the plate 
where he's realized I can be shorter, quicker to the ball, not try to hit the ball 5,000 feet every single time. I'm strong. I have great bat speed, and I don't need to try to demolish baseballs. And so far this season, the big difference for him is that he's hitting fastballs. He is crushing fastballs. Last year, he hit just 196 against the heater. He was getting gassed up. He was able to hit breaking balls because he'd catch them out front, but he was so long to the ball that he was getting gassed up on heaters. A ridiculous whiff rate. You shouldn't see guys whiffing 36% of the time at fastballs, but he's improved upon that. So after hitting 196 against the heater last year, he's hitting 302 against fastballs so far this season, and he is only whiffing now 28% of the time. So much better against the heater in terms of batting average, in terms of swing and miss, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he's doing better overall. The other things that have stood out to me is that he is not whiffing as much at all pitches. The whiff rate is down across the board. Last season, which I know was an abbreviated season, but it actually is a great comparison because it's exactly the sample size that we have from him right now. He saw 342 pitches in 2020. He's seen 347 pitches so far this year, but we can even go back to 2019, which is a season where he actually had some good stints and still the whiff rate is lower than it's ever been in his career so far. 33.3% whiff rate so far this season. In his career, he's hovering right around 40% for his whiff rate. So much better there. Zone contact is also way better. And that goes hand in hand with his ability to hit the fastball. He's just better at hitting pitches in the strike zone. And obviously that's going to bode well for you as a hitter. He was swinging and missing through a lot of pitches in the zone before. The zone contact rate higher than it's ever been in his career. It was 72.2% for his entire career, now at 80% this season so far. And for what it's worth, he's in the 91st percentile in framing, according to Baseball Savants. So Jorge Alfaro might be putting it together before our eyes, and that's one that I will eat. I mean, hell yeah, if Jorge Alfaro is putting it together at 28 years old, that is awesome. Because this is a former top 100 prospect, a really highly touted guy that seems like maybe, just maybe he's figuring it out. It's still early, he's still striking out 30% of the time, but still, that is lower than we've seen it. He struck out 36% of the time in 2020, he struck out 33% of the time in 19, and 36% of the time in 2018. So this would still be a vast improvement from what we've seen before. He's still not walking, and he's still striking out a decent amount, but you know what? He can be productive with those drawbacks, and we're seeing just that because he's keeping them more in check. I'm very intrigued to follow if this can continue for Jorge Alfaro. It's only been 92 at-bats, so it's still early in the season, but I am very encouraged from what we've seen so far. Hopefully, he can continue this because we have seen some stretches where Jorge Alfaro gets you believing again, and then he hits a bit of a wall, so hopefully this is different. I do see some approach differences, so let's hope that this is exactly the case. One other thing that I wanted to talk about in regards to this game is that the Marlins, from top to bottom, this was the most steady lineup we've seen from them in a while. And by steady, I mean it doesn't have a gaping hole. For the last couple months, the Marlins have deployed lineups that have consecutive guys that are just below replacement level. If you have Isan Diaz, Magnera Sierra, and Lewis Brinson, or whoever it may be going back to back to back, it's just not going to be easy to score runs. You can't give the pitcher a break in a third of your lineup. That's going to be very difficult. And then you also have the pitcher. So it's almost half your lineup. But even when it was two guys, when you would see Magnera Sierra and Isan Diaz back to back and then the pitcher or however they would be configured in that lineup, 
it's just too hard when you have those big holes in your lineup of guys that are not very competitive at the plate. This lineup for the Marlins today, especially with John Birdie being more like the Birdie we've known as of late, from top to bottom in this lineup, you have at least some steadiness. Jazz Chisholm in the leadoff spot is great, even though he's been cooling off a little bit. He's still Jazz Chisholm. Marte in the two spot, Aguilar in the three spot, Duvall was magnificent today. Another one of his games where the ball goes from a grain of rice to a beach ball for him, and then eventually it'll go back to a grain of rice, but right now it's beach ball season and I'm loving it. Four-hole Duvall, Rojas back in the lineup. He took an 0 for 5, but still, having Miggy Rowe in the lineup makes a big difference. Him in the five-hole. Jesus Sanchez in the six-hole did pick up the hat trick today. Strikeouts did also have a hit, and you could just see him being pitched too differently than if Magnara Sierra was at the plate. They're definitely more careful with him. Alfaro in the seven-hole, Birdie in the eight-hole. That's a much more balanced lineup than we've seen in the past. Instead of the guaranteed outs back-to-back and then the pitcher, you have at least some competitive bats from top to bottom. Maybe not superstars, but not guys that have no business being in the big leagues back-to-back before the pitcher. And who I'm alluding to is the two guys who finally, finally got DFA'd. I made it 12 minutes into this podcast without talking about the fact that Isan Diaz got DFA'd, finally. And I wish him the best. And I hope that he rakes in Jacksonville and maybe the Marlins send him somewhere else where he can get a change of scenery and he can go Derek Dietrich mode with the Reds over there. And I'm very happy with that. I want him to do well. It has nothing to do with that. I just don't want to see him be brutal and make all of these mistakes on the team I have to cover because it's absolutely miserable to watch and makes them much less competitive. So it is great that the Marlins finally made that decision and hopefully they will soon make some other decisions that would be good for their team, such as calling up Bryson Brigman, who has been demolishing baseballs in AAA and now just hit another home run and is at 900, I think, with his OPS. I understand that the Marlins probably want Bryson Brigman to get consistent at-bats, but he is raking in AAA. Instead, they have Devin Marrero on the big league team, who I talked about before has no business being in the bigs, unfortunately. I just don't think that there is any reason for the Marlins to have Marrero up. And you might be thinking, well, why would they bring up Brigman? They're going to have to send him right back down because Brian Anderson's going to return. Brian Anderson's not going to be back for at least another month or more because the transfer to the 60-day IL, I believe it's retroactive as of May 25th, maybe a little bit after that. And we're at June 19th right now. So it would be another month and change after that where he's eligible to return. And if that's the case, he still might not even be ready to go. As of four days ago, he wasn't even swinging yet. So it's still going to be a road back for Brian Anderson. And for the next month, is Devin Marrero the guy that you want off the bench, especially with the way that Don Mattingly loves to give off days to his players, especially with the way that Jazz Chisholm is going to be getting off days from time to time with just the recurring injuries that he's had and some muscular stuff, some ankle stuff. I know that Don's going to give him the day off at least once a week. Miguel Rojas has had to tape his hand in like three different ways just to play the game today and then would have to go off the bases and tape it again. Like obviously the Marlins are going to be careful with Rojas as well. So that's two of your infielders that you're going to be very careful with, both of which play the middle infield and Brigman is a guy that can play short, he can play second, and he's been getting starts at third. I hope that's because they might bring him in here 
to get some starts at third because that would make a lot more sense. I would love to see that where if you're going to give one of those guys a day off in Rojas or Chisholm, then you can put Birdie at second and put my man Bryson Brigman at third. Let's see what he can do. He's 26 years old. He's going to be Rule 5 eligible. You got to figure out whether you're going to protect him or not. Right now, he looks pretty darn good. I would protect him. He'd be one of the first guys off the board in the Rule 5, I promise you, if he's hitting the way he's hitting in AAA and he has the defensive versatility. You'll plug that guy right into your active roster if you're a rebuilding team or even if you're not. I think there's a lot of teams that would be interested in his services. So the Marlins have to make that decision ahead of the Rule 5 draft eventually anyways. And I think that he is a great great candidate to help them with their infield depth right now and he's been a great story so far I'm not saying he's going to be a sure thing in the major leagues but it would be nice to see him get the call up and see what the Marlins have there instead of Devin Marrero who you know is not going to be a major leaguer for you beyond the next few weeks speaking of the jumbo shrimp by the way new teammate Lorenzo Quintana the catcher I talked about in the previous episode that the Marlins picked up he homered today. First home run of the minor league career with the Marlins for Lorenzo Quintana. I really think that he's going to make a push to take Sandy Leone's job as the backup. And again, will be a better pinch hitting option for the Marlins as well than Sandy Leone, who really is just that second body who is capable of gearing up and getting behind the dish because he's not really good for anything else besides that. Quintana can swing it a little bit and he's good enough defensively. I'm eager to see what he can do as a backup for the Marlins for Alfaro. And also one more thing, the Marlins and Don Mattingly needs to stop pinch hitting and letting John Curtis hit. It's beyond weird. I don't understand the overthinking of bench management that allows you to let John Curtis hit as much as he has hit. I think he's gotten three at-bats now in the last week or so. It just doesn't make sense. I know the Marlins are in a bit of a bind, but please, please stop making John Curtis hit. It's brutal. I don't want to watch it anymore. I don't understand why that's the case. But anyways, I'm going to talk about the games ahead for the Marlins. Two more games against the Cubs. A great victory today, and they've got two of their guys going in the next two ball games. Pablo Lopez and then Trevor Rogers, which are the two guys you definitely want going after you are able to pick up a game one and Cody Petit's return. Then you have two of your best guys going besides Sandy, of course, who will be going in the first game of the Toronto series at home. But great to see the Marlins pick up that first win here of the series with the mystery somewhat of what they were going to get from their pitching staff even though we have loved what we've seen from Petit we didn't know how he was going to look coming back from injury and we knew it was going to be a shorter start so huge that the offense was able to do what it did tonight as I mentioned I'm going to talk about the games ahead for the Marlins as well as my takeaways from Jesus Sanchez so far still excited to see more of his ABs but some interesting things that have stood out to me I think there's been some positives some negatives and he has looked good in the outfield as well though so I'm looking forward to talking about him on the other side of this break. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you in part by Built Bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor, coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, as well as double chocolate and salted caramel. There's something for everyone. Best of all, they are low in calories, low in sugar, low in fat, 
and low in carbs, but they're high in protein. What else could you want from a protein bar? They're covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and great for a keto diet. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15, LOCKED15, for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. Also brought to you in part by our friends at Wealthfront. Day trading can be tough. In fact, less than 1% of day traders actually beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team up with Wealthfront instead. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified, low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion in assets, and you can get your first 5000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. All you need is $500 to get started, and you can grow your wealth easy and let Wealthfront do the work for you to get your first 5000 managed for free for life. Go to Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB. That's Wealthfront.com backslash LockedOnMLB and get started today. So let's get started on talking about the next two ball games for the Marlins, which should be interesting. They've got two of their better guys on the bump. But again, we've played this game so many times when the Marlins should win, they don't. When they shouldn't win, they do sometimes. Uh, depends when you ask. But they do win today. Great to get back within nine games now of 500. But you'd like to see the Marlins try to carry that momentum going on. And especially if Adam Duvall can stay in beach ball mode, that would be really nice really really nice for this team but again when you have the offense more balanced like this without the gaping holes and automatic outs that you've had for so many games so far this season there's a good chance that you can continue to be a bit better offensively so the Marlins get Jake Arrieta tomorrow and Jake Arrieta is not the Jake Arrieta that he used to be he's 35 years old he's pitched to a 5.14 ERA so far this season Again, I am not making any predictions on Jake Arrieta. I've played this game too many times with bad pitchers that the Marlins are facing. Not playing this game. Just going to tell you what Jake Arrieta has been doing as of late. It has not been that good. His last 12 innings, he has surrendered 11 earned runs. That's an 8.25 ERA. So far this season, he has only struck out 51 in 63 innings, and he has surrendered 12 home runs in 63 innings. So if the Marlins want to keep rolling... It's not the worst guy to face. I'm choosing my words very carefully, so I do not jinx these Marlins. But if they want to keep rolling, it's not not ideal to be facing an aging Jake Arrieta here. The Marlins have not faced him in a little bit of time. And so far this season, he's made three starts against the Pirates. He's made two starts against a Milwaukee lineup that was pretty decimated and then really ran into trouble over his last four starts when he had to face Cincinnati, then San Francisco. He actually turned in a solid start two starts ago against the Padres going five innings of one run ball. So he's still capable of doing some decent things. Don't get me wrong. But then his last outing gave up four runs in five innings against the Mets. Opposite of Jake Arrieta will be Pablo Lopez for the Marlins, who's looking to bounce back after a tough start against the Braves. But we know, as I've mentioned in the past, the Braves have Lopez's number. They have anybody's number who throws a lot of change-ups. They love change-ups. Pablo Lopez throws a lot of change-ups. So it's not a good matchup for him anytime they play the Braves. He was great 
in the outing before that. He went eight innings of two-run ball, struck out eight against the Rockies. And overall this season, a 3.12 ERA, he has been very, very solid. So we'll see how he bounces back. Pablo typically likes to bounce back after a bad start. So hopefully that'll be the case against the Cubs. It's going to be tough though. The Cubs don't like to lose two in a row at Wrigley. I can tell you that. But according to Vegas, the Marlins are slight underdogs in tomorrow's ball game. And I don't blame Vegas. They have probably seen what this Marlins team has been doing over the last couple weeks, and I don't blame them for thinking the Marlins won't take two in a row at Wrigley. However, they also will get Alec Mills in Game 3. And if anybody's been worse for the Cubs than Jake Arrieta, it's been Alec Mills. One of the most random guys to have thrown a no-hitter. I liken his no-hitter to Corey Dickerson's gold glove, as they both, you just look at it and you're like, how did that happen? And for Alec Mills, he's been mostly operating out of the bullpen. He's made a couple of those opener type of outings, and I don't know if he's for sure going to make that start in Game 3. That's who's scheduled right now. I think he might be the opener. He has done that a couple times, as I said, this year. But so far this season, he has not been great. And so far over his last seven outings or appearances, He's been somewhat of a disaster. 14 and a thirds innings. He's given up 21 hits, 13 earned runs. That's good for an 8.16 ERA, nine walks, and a 2.09 whip. Not good. Not very good at all. But again, we've seen this story before, so we'll see how it goes. But the Marlins have Trevor Rogers, opposite of potentially Alec Mills. And Rodgers has been the Marlins' best pitcher so far this year, and so much fun to watch, and I'm eager to see how he will look at Wrigley. I'm sure that'll be a very awesome experience for him. If you remember, Rodgers had that nerve-wracking first start at home where he didn't look like himself, was overthrown a little bit, and I wonder how he's going to fare in front of 32,000 now at Wrigley, as this will be the first time for him pitching there, especially in front of 32,000. Hopefully he's not too amped up and jittery like he was in that first start of the season. I think he's really matured a lot since then, which sounds crazy. It's only been, what, eight, nine, ten starts, but he has probably gained so much confidence over those handful of starts as he has really solidified himself as one of the better young arms in the game. I think he's probably going to be just fine, but it is worth noting this is a guy that is still very young. He's still a rookie, and it's going to be his first time in front of 32K at Wrigley Field. I could see a little bit of jitters potentially. I could also see him rising to the occasion and dealing, so we'll see on that. The last thing I wanted to talk about was Jesus Sanchez, who, again, I don't want people to make these crazy reactions right away and be like, oh, no, here we go again, another hitting prospect that's not getting it done or whatever that may be. He did leg out the infield hit today. He did make a fantastic play in left field. When it comes to Jesus Sanchez, I don't think there's a better candidate of that guy just needs at bats than him. Because he is somebody that has all of the God-given talent in the world, a ridiculous amount of bat speed and raw power and just ability to demolish the baseball. We saw him hit one over 500 feet at Jacksonville just before getting called up. It's unbelievable power to all fields. He hits lefties well. He hits righties well. He is really, really good. But the only issue for him 
is the part that doesn't actually have to do with the mechanics of his swing. It has to do with his approach. And he's not a guy that chases egregiously, but he's a guy that will expand the strike zone in the wrong counts. He will chase a ball just off the plate in a hitter's count. Do those types of things. 3-2, he's swinging at a fastball or it was a cutter today that was way off the plate. It almost hit him and it was a cutter 3-2, but you could tell that Jesus Sanchez had predetermined that he was going to swing at that pitch. And I have actually liked some of the takes that we've seen from Jesus Sanchez. He's had some good takes on tough pitches, but at times it seems like he predetermines what he's going to do before the pitch comes and he swings in these hitters counts at pitches that he thinks will be coming where they are and end up not being the pitch that he was expecting and he expands the zone. Those are the little things that he can easily iron out. And how do you iron that out? By getting the reps. So I'm glad he's up here. I'm totally fine with seeing him go through some growing pains if that's the case because I'd rather see Jesus Sanchez work those things out than Lewis Brinson or Isan Diaz or any of those guys, even Magnara Sierra. Why? If you can get Jesus Sanchez to work those things out because even when he's guessing, he's going to guess right and hit one 500 feet. Even if he's struggling a couple times, he's going to guess right. I'm not saying that's what you want from him. Of course, you want him to be reading the ball a bit better out of the hand, predicting better in hitters counts if he's not seeing the pitch that he was expecting to shut it down and take it. Even if it's a called strike, if it's not what you were looking for in that hitters count, take the strike. It's okay. That's the thing that I think we need to get used to seeing from Jesus Sanchez and he needs to get better with, but I'm okay with him going through those growing pains, so to speak, because I would rather that be the case than watching somebody that's not going to figure it out like a Lewis Brinson, like an Isan Diaz, like a Magnara Sierra, just wasting away and wasting at bats at the big league level for this Marlins team. So I'm really glad to see Jesus Sanchez up there. What I'll say is just be patient. I know that's what's always said when it comes to prospects, but Jesus Sanchez has shown what he could do at the AAA level. I mean, he was one of the best hitters in all of the minor leagues. It doesn't mean he's guaranteed to be successful at the major leagues, but it does mean that he has a good chance and he has everything physically that you could look for. It's just going to be whether he can make that transition and handle the way big league pitchers are going to pitch to him. They know that he's going to expand the zone. They know that they can erase those hitters counts by allowing him to get himself out. And until he stops doing that, they are going to continue to exploit that. Yes, he's going to run into baseballs from time to time because pitchers will miss their spot. They'll leave it over to the plate or he'll guess right. But that's not what we want to see. What we want to see is that consistency from Jesus Sanchez. And that's what you got to look out for. I think it can come, but let's be patient. Let's not start freaking out if he starts off a little bit slow, if he's not really picking up as many hits as we want to see. I think each at-bat is a learning experience for him. And hopefully he's able to apply that and learn from that. He did get picked off at first today, but you know what? That just means he's fitting right in, right? Because everybody else gets picked off. That's 14 this year for the Marlins. 14 times they have been picked off. You know what the next most is in Major League Baseball? Eight. Eight. The Marlins almost have double the next most in the league. How is that possible? How is that so contagious through your clubhouse? Uh, They got to go back to square one and do some pickoff drills. I don't know. Like you're in uh, Little League where you're all standing on the right field line and you have the one coach standing out in the grass and he comes set and sometimes pretends he's pitching home, sometimes picks off and you got to dive back and a couple kids end up getting caught leaning and they have to run a lap or whatever. Maybe that was just me. 
I don't believe that the Marlins actually might have to go through that shit, but I think they do because it is insane to get picked off 14 times at the major league level. It's insane to get picked off 14 times in high school. If our team got picked off 14 times in high school, we would be running until our legs don't work anymore. Hell, on my 13U travel team, if we got picked off that many times, we would be in deep trouble. I just don't know how that is possible. But you know what? The Marlins won 10-2. They are looking much better with this lineup. Jesus Sanchez is in the major leagues. Cody Boutiz is back. The bullpen looked good today. We've got good news. We've got good things going on right now. Let's be positive. The Marlins are still creeping back in. Only nine games under 500. They're 5-15 in one-run games. 5-15. I know part of that is the bullpen and blown saves and whatever, but a lot of that is bad luck too. And they are only going to even that out a little bit. They have to. You can't be that bad in one-run games. They were actually great in one-run games last year. So I think... I just believe that it can only get a little bit better in that regard. That was even something they were talking about in the Cubs broadcast as well, that the Marlins have been a bit unlucky, the run differential. They actually did talk about run differential in the Cubs broadcast, which is pretty wild. I was like, wow, Marlins Twitter would be loving this right now if they could hear it. But yeah, I mean, there are a lot of reasons to still be optimistic about this team if they make the right decisions and don't have the ineptitude that they've had at times when it comes to front office decisions and at times managerial decisions. But let's hope this is a sign of the team trending in the right direction, finally optioning Isan Diaz and Brinson, finally starting to come together a little bit with the lineup. Rojas is back as well. How could I forget that? There's plenty to be optimistic about and let's have a fun series. Marlins take one. They've got two good matchups coming up. Hopefully they can take one of the next two ball games, then head back home to play Toronto. They are rested after that off day yesterday, and as are the Marlins fans. I'm sure you were happy to have that off day yesterday as well, because Marlins baseball can be quite exhausting sometimes. But today was a lot of fun. So I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you on Monday. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you on Monday.